start off by talking about what we got into last Sunday. If you remember that Absalom is on his way to Jerusalem to take over Jerusalem. And we finished up with David, gathered all of his wives up and all of his kids, and they begin this mass exodus. And this is kind of the title of today is the mass exodus out of Jerusalem. And if you remember, we finished up in verse, I believe it was 16 maybe, and he left 10 concubines behind to take care of the house. And I said that was very prophetic in the fact of what Absalom was going to do to these concubines when it's all said and done that was abs- that was pro- uh, prophesied uh, later on. And so if you remember, Absalom had been at the gate for four years uh, campaigning against his dad and eventually won the hearts of the people. And now he has, now David has to leave. David is approximately about 60 years old at this point, I think. Uh, I don't, he didn't fight his son. Um, and maybe it was because of his son, maybe because he don't have the energy. I have no idea, but he doesn't stand up to him. He, he, he's leaving. And so then we get to verse 17 and we start tonight's story and, and a very sad story at this. Verse 17, the king left and all the people with him and they stopped at the last house. So David, David says, we're going from house to house and we're telling everybody in here who that what we're doing. And so David makes it very clear that he knows who is his followers. He knows who's with him. And so he's going from house to house saying, look, if you want to come with me, you can come with me. If you want to stay, but Absalom's on their way. What does this remind you of? What's going on right now in the mass exodus out of Ukraine, right? Because Russia's coming in and there's 3 million uh, Ukrainians leaving their country. And I want you to think about this. It's very similar to what's going on with David right now. David is leaving this mass exodus of people because the enemy is coming in. It's the very same scenario. It's interesting. We're talking about this when it is. But the Bible says the king left. The king left. All right. What does this establish? Absalom is not the king. David is the king. And the Bible is, is, is saying, look, this is truth. Absalom will not be the king. He's never the king. God put David as king. And all these people in with him, what does that mean? And the Bible's meaning that all those who were in support with him. And so now he's going from house to house to house from all those who followed. Now, if you hold your place there, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalms 55. And I want to tell you, I've tried to hit along the way all the different Psalms that David wrote while going through 2 Samuel and 1 Samuel. I'm going to pull just a few passages. Second, I mean, Psalms chapter 55 was actually written um, during this time um, where David uh, was was leaving um, and running for his life. Okay, so Psalms 55. Now, here's my problem with Psalms 55. I don't necessarily think David wrote the entire thing, and I'm going to explain why in just a minute. So verse one, give ear to my prayer to my, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless and complain and I'm surely distracted. The voice of my enemy because of the pressure of the wicked 
for they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come upon me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Verse 6, I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. You know, I think this is interesting. The past David, the younger David, would he pray for having wings like a dove? What do you think he would pray? Give me my sword and give me my shield and give me my battle shoes. Let's go fight. But this David is different. This David doesn't say, God, I put my trust in you. I want you to come. I, you know, I, I, you came to me with a spear and a sword. I come to you in the name of the Lord. This is not the same man. He says, God, make me a dove that I can fly away from my son, from this trouble. Honestly, I think he's tired. But I also see a dwindling in his faith in, in, in during this time. What else does he say? Verse 7, but I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hasten to my place of refuge from the stormy wind of tempest. Now, why does he say this? Verse 7, I would lodge in the wilderness. He spent 20 years in the wilderness. Why does he ask to be in the wilderness again? You know, I think he's just longing for simpler times. So longing for simpler times. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, you know what? I think less is more sometimes. Less is more. You know, all the stuff just breaks down, the stuff you got to fix, all that, less is more. And I think David was tired. I think he was tired of being the Supreme Court, tired of running everything. And I think he says, I'm longing for the wilderness because less is more. Verse 8, I would hasten to place of my refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. Verse 9, confuse, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around upon her walls and iniquity and mischief and in her midst. Destruction is in her midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from her streets. Verse 12. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor it is the one who hates me has exalted himself, then I could hide myself. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. Wow. Listen to what he's saying. He's talking about Ahithophel. He's talking about his son, his familiar friend. He said, if it was an enemy, I could understand it. He said, if it was somebody who hated me, then I can understand it. But verse 14, we who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God. Verse 15, let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down to where? Hell. Now here's where my, my trouble is. I don't know if David wrote this entire psalm because if he did, he's either asking for Ahithophel to go to hell or he's asking for his son to go into hell. So I don't know which one. I don't, writers are, they, they're, they're torn. If this is what David wrote, if this is what he says, he says, for evil is in their dwelling and in their midst, and he's dead right there. I don't know if David was referring to Ahithophel saying, let him go into hell alive, go into hell, send him to hell. But he, but he, 
but or was he not referring to Absalom? I don't know. But it is interesting. This is the passage he wrote, and I'll just finish up with this. As for me, I shall call upon the Lord, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice and redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. Okay, so the Psalms 55 is we know that it is written during this time. I don't know when he had time to stop and write this, but he's writing about how discouraged he is and what's happened against him. All right, but we see the anguish. We see that the we see that he's you know they sought to be killed by his own son. Now let's get back on the, the highway here. Verse 18, 2 Samuel chapter 15. I, I enjoy trying to point out the Psalms that he wrote uh, at the, at the particular times he wrote them. Verse 18, now all of his servants passed beside him and all of the Cherethites and the Pelethites and the Gittites, 600 men who had come from Gath passed before the king. Now this gives us an idea of how many people were faithful to him. How many people were in the wilderness? About 600. Now this is 600 men. Now this is not including the women and children. And the Bible says that they're all passing before him. David is sitting there. Tears are flowing down his face. And all these 600 people plus are lined in front of him. And it looks like a parade. Think about how many times you've sat out at a parade and you've gotten your chair and you've watched the parade floats go by you and all the bands and all the cheerleaders and all the people throwing candy. But this is not an exciting time. This is David watching all of these people go by and he's watching all of these people go by and he's thinking, this is my sin. This is my sin. This is my sin. This is my sin. Can you imagine what he felt like as he watched 600 plus people go by him as they were torn from their homes, their livelihoods were ripped up just like the Ukrainians today. And so these are people that have been faithful to him for many years. But I want to introduce a faithful friend to David. This is the Bible. I think this, this, by the way, this makes a sermon in and of itself. Okay, but I'm not going to do that. Then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, why should you go with us to return and stay with your king? Since you are a foreigner and an exile as well, return to your own place. We have an introduction of a man named Ittai. Now, I don't know if Ittai and his men were coming down and David grabs him and pulls him over and he goes, what are you doing here? Why are you leaving and going into the wilderness? Let me explain who Ittai is. Ittai is a Philistine. He is a Philistine. Now, what is David known for? Saul's known for his thousands, David for his ten thousands, killing the Philistines. But Ittai was a friend of David, a faithful friend. I want to tell you, if you get a friend like Ittai, when you're going to see him just a little bit, you have got somebody. Now, here is my confusion. And I don't know what is right. You can search this out. Ittai is possibly a follower of David for many years, okay? But I'm going to explain how I, I'm not really sure. But the Bible says, why should you go? Why would you leave and uproot your life? Why would you leave your house? Why would you follow after me and do this? And then he says this, go stay with your king. What is he saying? Go back to the Philistine territory you came from and follow after your 
king. And Ittai goes, huh? He has this confused look on his face. Let's go to verse 19. Let's see what he, I mean, verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 20. See what he says. Then David says, you came only yesterday. So should I make you wonder with us today while I go wherever I go? Return and take your brothers back. Mercy and be truth to you. Now here's my, here's my problem that I don't understand. And I'll just be honest with you. It seems that Ittai, some people believe that he had just started, he just came yesterday. But there's other people that believe that he had followed after David for several years. So here's, let me try to clarify. Let's just say that he just came yesterday. Wow, this is a pretty, um, this is a very faithful man. But I tend to think that he had been following after David for several years. So what? how do I get past the part where it says you came only yesterday? The reason I believe, I think that Ittai had been gone. I think he had been fighting battles. I think he had been on expeditions with his men. And I think he had just arrived back from the city. I think he had been in and out and in and out. And I think he had not been there in a while. And he had just showed back up the day before. Now, that's my personal opinion. If you don't agree with me, we're still going to heaven. It's going to be okay, all right? He says, while I'll go, he says, return to your brothers. But this is what he says. Uh, should, should I make you wonder with us today while I go wherever I go? This is a sad, sad commentary. David says, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going. Now, here's a man, this king, over all of Israel, and he says, I'm stepping into the wilderness and I have no idea where I'm going. I'm just going to start running. And he says, you don't want no part of that. You and your men do not want to follow somebody that's just running for their life. He said, been there, done that. I got the t-shirt. I did it for 20 years. Listen to Ittai's answer, verse 21. Ittai answered the king and said, as the Lord lives, as my Lord, the king lives, wherever my Lord, the king may be, whether for death or for life, assuredly shall your servant be. Listen, as the king lives, Ittai corrects David right off the front. He said, I don't have a king in the Philistine territory. He said, I have a king in Israel. David, you are my king. You are the man I'm going to follow. And then he says, and I'm going to do it if I live or if I die. So let's just say, let's just say, Ittai just joined, just came to the city of Jerusalem the day before. Let's just say. And he just, and his men just decided to follow after David. This man, if he only knew David for one day, he said, I'm going to give my life for you. What, what possessed Ittai if he only knew him from one day? He had to know David's uh, past. He had to know who David stood for. But this is why I think he had known David for years and he had been gone on expeditions. And he says, shall your servant be? Meaning, wherever you go, I'm going to go. You know, I, we see people that jump on different things and they can't stick to one thing. But here he says, I follow you wherever you go. But David says, but you don't understand. We're going to be in the wilderness and we're going to be out and about. And I have no idea where we're going. He says, I don't care. I follow you. 
Now, this, what I'm going to read to you doesn't come from me. It comes, I, I read this out of a commentary and I, I thought it was good. Talking about the demonstration of loyalty. Ittai did this when David was down. You know, people often get on board following other people when they're doing well, right? When they have lots of riches, when they're popular. But Ittai followed David when David wasn't a popular guy. But not only that, he did it with decisiveness. He did it with, he did it with, he did it also voluntarily. He did it, he's like, look, nobody's forcing me to do this, David. In fact, you're trying to kick me away, but I am choosing to do this. He did it public, publicly. He announced it in front of all these 600 plus people. I follow after you. But he also did it knowing that David's fate and his fate could have been death. Now, Ittai had a family. So he's also not just Ittai, but it's his men and their families, and he's putting all of his children at risk also. When Ittai was in, he was all in. That um, You understand, this, this is preached right here, about the faithfulness of one person. Verse 22, Then David said to Ittai, Go and cross over the book Kindred. And so Ittai and the Gittite crossed over with all of his men and all of the what? The little ones who were with him. And so they crossed over the Kidron Valley. Remember this? This is leads into the wilderness. They're leaving the comforts of home. You can think about the tears and the crying. You can imagine as they're walking into this desert, they're walking into this wilderness, and I cannot get the Ukrainians out of my mind as they're leaving the city and they're walking and walking all these miles and they're looking back and they're leaving the comforts of home. How many of you have seen these children sleeping on the ground in, in sleeping bags and on in the in these I mean everywhere? People are walking over top of them and walking around. This is exactly what was going on, but a lot more primitive, right? But they're still leaving their homes. You can imagine what this was like. And they're choosing to do this. I'm choosing to walk away from my house. Is it true that Absalom would have killed them? Probably not. Not them. If they would have chose to stay, then they would have said, okay, you're a friend. So it shows you the impact that David had on some of these people. And he crossed over with all these babies and all these little ones and their wives. And they're putting everybody at, at, at risk in the wilderness. This mass exodus. Verse 23. While all the country was weeping with a loud voice, all the people were crossing over. The king was also crossing over the brook Kidron. And all the people were crossing over towards that way of the wilderness. Listen to 6, 1,200, 1,500, I don't know, 2,000 people. Can you imagine the crying? Can you imagine tonight if somebody attacked us in Greensboro and you were forced to run, not in your car, but run, physically run and to get out? Can you imagine how you would feel the desperation, where you would sleep. You would, you, you would literally be living moment by moment, meal by meal, and trying to feed your children and take care of them and all that entails. And the Bible says all the country was weeping. Everybody that was in this parade, they were crying and mourning and grieving. 
and the king crosses over. You know what? I just think when David heard all of this crying, he had to think, this is my fault. This is my fault. This is my fault. This is my fault. And David's listening to this, to all these people. Absalom is not the one to blame here, okay? He's a partial, but David is the one to blame. Verse 24, now behold, Zadok also came. And all the Levites with him carrying the Ark of the Covenant and they set down the Ark of the Covenant of God and Abathar came with him until all the people had finished crossing over the city. You remember when the priest uh, held the um, held the Ark of the Covenant and they, they crossed the dry ground with a priest? That's not what happened here, by the way. But Zadok and all the high priests, Zadok was the high priest during this time and they had the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember, what does the Ark of the Covenant represent? It represents the very presence of God. So it had its tent, right? Now, if the priests are leaving Jerusalem, do you think they're going to leave the Ark of the Covenant behind? Absolutely not. It's just kind of like, you know, we pack up all of our things and the Ark of the Covenant the Levites were the ones responsible for moving the moving the Ark of the Covenant. So just by nature, we're taking the Ark of the Covenant and we're carrying it. And so they're carrying it. And when everybody got across and then the high priest and the Levites, they carry the Ark of Covenant across. All right. Remember, it's the representation of God. It doesn't. David was not putting his trust in an ark, in a piece of wood. He was putting his trust in God himself, okay? Verse 25, the king said to Zadok, return the ark of God to the city. Now, this is interesting. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he will bring me back and show me both it and his habitation. Now, he says, take it back. I can imagine the Levites are going, what? Take it back. But you don't understand, there'll be no priest there. There'll be no, there'll be nobody to handle the, the sacrifices. Why would we take the Ark of the Covenant? We're responsible for the Ark. Why would I take it back? You know, I believe that at this point, David had been away from the Lord. I don't know how long, but I think this is what David is doing. He's trying to see if God is still with him. He's trying to see, is God still with him? Have you ever felt that way where you people, you walked away from the Lord and you think, does he even love me anymore? Does he even care for me anymore? Is he even willing to take me back? And I think this is where David was at. Is he willing to take me back? And then he says, here's the test. You guys take the Ark of the Covenant back. And if I find favor in the Lord, you know, he didn't know if he was going to find favor. He knew that this was most likely a punishment. He knew it was. The consequences of the sin, he says, it's a submissiveness. God, I'm willing to lay down. I know I've messed up. And I lay down to you. And I submit myself to you. So take it back, the Ark of the Covenant, and if it's God's will, he'll bring me back to Jerusalem. Either way, I want to know if God is with me. If he's with me, I'll make it back to Jerusalem and I'll be back with the Ark of the Covenant. If I die in the wilderness, then I know God's not with me. Wow. 
How many Psalms have you read that it says, I am walking with the Lord, I am with the Lord. I mean, look at this man, David, where he's just now trying to decide at this point in his life, is God really with me? Where he had had such a close walking relationship with him for so long. Verse 26, but if he says this, I have no delight in you, then here I am. Let him do to me as seems good. Now he's ready. I have no delight in you. Can you imagine hearing this from God? The, one of the hard passages is uh, at the end times where he looks at those, he says, he says that depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you, or well done, thy good and faithful servant. David is saying, God may say, I have no delight in you. Why? Because David has not had to fellowship with God forever. How long? I don't know how long. And then he says, let him do what he wants to do. This is a turning point that I see in David's life. We haven't seen talk like this in some time by David. He says, God, my hands are up. I surrender. I'm submissive. Whatever you want for me, it's okay. But do whatever you want. So the priests are going to return, verse 27. The king said, also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace. And your two sons, now this is incredible. After David prays this, I want you to remember verse 27 because this is incredible. David had no way of knowing that God was putting these words in his mouth. It's perfect. Zadok, turn, return to the Jerusalem and your sons and Abathar. I want you, the son of Abathar, I want you to return back to Jerusalem. And I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant. By the end of the story, you're going to be like, wow, that was perfect. And so he asked him, he said, wait a minute, Zadok, are you not a seer? What does he mean? Don't you have valuable information? Don't you carry the ephod with you? What is it that the Lord's going to do? And he says, look, return to the city in peace. He doesn't give him a chance to answer, which I don't know why. But he says, return to the city in peace. Now, David did not want them to be killed like Saul killed all the other priests. There was that chance. What if Absalom would have killed Zadok and all the other priests? There was that chance. But David was willing to take the chance. Verse 28, see, I am going to wait at the river crossing places of the wilderness until the word comes from you to inform me. He says, I'm going to stand right here at the edge of the wilderness. And remember, David's not offensive at all. He's playing defense at this time. I'm waiting on God to do what God is going to do. Now, look, oftentimes when we're in the wilderness is when we don't want to wait, is it not? When we're going through the hardest times in our life, what do we hear? Verses like, wait on the Lord, be a good courage. He shall strengthen our heart. Wait, I say wait. And when you're in the wilderness, the last thing you want to do is what? Wait. And David said, I'm going to stand here in the wilderness just over the Kidron Valley. And I'm going to stand here and I'm going to wait. And I'm going to wait to see what God is going to do. Either way. I'm good, but I'm going to wait. Verse 29. 
So Zadok and Abathar returned the ark of the God, ark of the ark of God to Jerusalem, and they remained there. And so here I think we see a commitment to, to David despite the enemy is coming into the city. I want to ask you this. Let's just say you were one of these priests, Abathar or, or, or uh, uh, Zadok. Would you be nervous if you stayed in the city? How, did you guys see the, the lady interviewed one of the Ukraines that was part of their parliament? Did you see that interview this morning? And they were interviewing her and she said, me and Parliament, we're staying and we're fighting. We're defending the city. And I thought, here comes Russia and all their tanks and the little bit that these folks have. And here's a lady, part of Parliament, saying, we're going to fight for our motherland. And I thought, how scary will it be when Russia pulls in there? And I thought about these priests. When Absalom and all of his men come roaring in, and here's these two priests sitting there just waiting. I mean, they could have pulled a saw and pulled their sword out and chopped their head off. And the Bible says that they remain there. Look, all the friends are gone. Everybody who remained there was everybody who left were friends of David. They don't have a friend. But I want to tell you, God is their friend and you're going to see a protection over these priests that no man could provide. Verse 30. And David was going up to sent in the Mount of Olives and weeping as he went. And his head was covered and he was walking barefoot. Then all the people who were with him each covered his own head and they were going up weeping as they went. Here we see the accent, accent into the Mount of Olives. Do you remember Jesus doing this? I put this in your notes in Matthew 26, 30. After singing the hymn, what was that? After they had the Last Supper, the Bible says they went out to the Mount of Olives. And right after that, Jesus was betrayed. You see, David was walking up this same path that Jesus would walk up. The difference is David was suffering for his own sin. Jesus was suffering for our sin. But they make the same journey up the same path across the Kidron Valley up into the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says they wept. And I couldn't help but think about the Indians as they were pushed from their land, pushed from their land, pushed from their land. And it's called what? The Trail of Tears. And I can think about from Jerusalem all the way across the Kidron Valley up into the Mount of Olives. What does it say? They cried and cried and cried and cried. And the Bible says that David was not only had his head covering, we all understand about the head covering, right? How many times you've been to a funeral and people had their head covering? Head coverings all throughout the Old Testament is a sign of mourning. But what else did David have off of his body? What was it? No shoes. He didn't have shoes on. And your first inclination is what? Man, he was in such a hurry, he didn't put those shoes on. Man, Matt Absalom was really close. No, that, that's not what it means. When David was barefooted, by the way, Ezekiel talks about this. He says, uncover your head and put your shoes on. For people who wear no shoes, it was a sign of mourning and poverty to the Jewish people. Even if they had like a stocking on, it still represented the same thing. 
And I thought about this. I thought about people today who are grieving and mourning. Do they wear shoes? What is it that somebody wouldn't wear shoes? You know, when you get dressed and you get up and you put shoes on, it means you're what? You're, you're getting up, you're moving on with life. And David here is walking up this rocky Mount of Olives with no shoes and poverty. Why? Because he left his palace. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine walking across all of that with no shoes, but it just represented his mourning. That's what it represented. And his grieving, that's what it represented to the Jews. Verse 31, now someone informed David, Ahithophel, remember this guy? Is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, Lord, please make the advice of Ahithophel foolish. You remember this guy? This was who? Bathsheba's grandfather who when he spoke to David, he was known as one of his main counselors. The Bible said that when he spoke, he was it was spoke as if the Lord had spoken. And now David is making a, a plea to God. God, I don't know if you're with me. I really don't. But if you are, when Ahithophel speaks to Absalom, let it be foolish. Now, what does the Bible talk about foolish advice or confusing advice? What does it say? It's what? Demonic. So essentially what David is praying, he said, when Ahithophel opens his mouth, let it be from the devil. Let it be demonic. Wow. Let it, when he speaks, we want it to be filled with confusion. This is the prayer that David makes, and you're going to see how powerful that prayer was the next time. Verse 32, and it happened as David was coming to the summit where God was, he worshiped that behold, Hushai, the, uh, the archite, met with him and his coat was torn. Now we introduce another man who's pivotal in this story. But they stop at the top of the Mount of Olives and what do they do despite their circumstances? There's something in David that we see encouraged. They're crying and they stop and they worship. The Ark of the Ark of the Covenant is back in Jerusalem, but they stop and they worship God. That's what I mean. His eyes was not on the Ark. His eyes was on God now. And they begin to worship him. They begin to praise him despite what's going through. What does that remind you of is James. Let him sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, him who is going through trouble. But there's this man, he walks up, and his name is Hushai. Now, Bible says in 1 Chronicles 27, 33, it says, he talks about Hushai, and it says, he is the king's friend. Now, the word friend there in 1 Chronicles means this. It means somebody with an intimate relationship. Now, the Bible also refers, uh, the Hebrew also refers that to lover. It doesn't mean that they were homosexual couples, all right? It means that's how intimate their friendship was. This is how close they were to one another. They were tight. David could trust him. Hushai's been there. But all of a sudden, this man shows up kind of out of the blue. Here he comes with ashes on his head, his clothes are torn. What does that represent? His mourning, his grieving over everything that's taking place. And now he enters into the picture at the perfect time. You remember Zadok? You remember Avatar? The priest, they're back in Jerusalem and their sons, 
Now Hushai comes into play. All of this is a representation that God is going, I'm on your side, David, I'm on your side. Verse 33, and David said to him, if you go over with me, then you will become a burden to me. David puts out his hand and he says, don't cross over with me. It's interesting. He says, you'll become a burden to me. What does he mean? He says, look, Hushai, I can use you more in Jerusalem than here. All you're going to do is take more food, more space. You know, I need somebody in Jerusalem that I can trust. That's all he's saying right here. And if there's anybody that I can choose, Hushai, it's you. And I want you to be my friend in Jerusalem. And so now, here's this man that's up for this challenge, verse 34. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, even as I was your father's servant in times past, so now I will also be your servant, then you can foil the advice of Ahithophel. What is he saying? He's saying, I will be your servant. He said, I want you to go to him and I will say, Absalom, I will serve you now. I don't serve David. I was your father's servant. I was David's servant, but now I'm your servant. And I, but David says, here's the plan, Hushai. I want you to try to tell me what's going on. I want you to try to inform me what's going on. What is he saying? I want you to become a spy. Now, you know what? As I read this, I'll think, good gracious. This doesn't sound like a father-son relationship. Hey, I want you to go spy on my son. I want you to find out when he's trying to kill me. I want you to find out, you know. You know what this sounds like? France sends spies into Germany during World War II. What? To find out what's going on. This almost sounds like we're sending spies into the enemy. It was his son, for goodness sake. But this shows you the evil in Absalom's heart. Verse 35, and Z are Zadok and Abathar the priest not with you there? So it shall be whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall report it to Zadok and Abathar the priest. And now listen, now all of a sudden this plan comes into play. You see, when Zadok, I mean, when David said, take the ark back, you two priests, you go back, you take your sons. Let me tell you, those words came from God. They didn't come from David. David had no idea what was going to transpire. And this is what he tells him. He says, I'm going to send you back. But Hushai, when you tell Absalom, I'm now your servant, I want you to listen and tell me what's going on. But I want you to tell these two priests first. And that way, you go to the priest and you report everything that you've heard and nobody will be the wiser. You go and worship the Lord. Go to the priest. Absalom's doing this. Absalom's doing this. Absalom said he's going to do this. He's going to the north. And the two priests, got it. Thank you. Hushai goes back, serves Absalom. Now, here's the thing. What if David would have never sent back those two priests? You know what? Hushai would have never been able to report back everything that Absalom had done. God is in this, even in the words of David. Verse 36. 
And behold, their two sons are with them. Oh, I, 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 right? Oh, wait a minute. There's, there's two sons that are with him. Well, why is that important? All right, let's say that Hushai here is going, Absalom's doing this, Absalom's doing this. And all of a sudden, the priest say, okay, we got to get word back to David. All right, let's go. And all of a sudden, the, the priest start walking in and out of the city, back and forth. Do you think Absalom's going to be like, oh, they're going on a nature hike? No, he's going to know. The priests are a big deal. They're well known. He's going to say, they're reporting to David. But what did David tell them? Take your sons with you when you go back. And then he says, by then you shall send them. The sons are with them. So then all the Hushai, he goes, here, here's what's going on. Absalom's planning this, Absalom's planning this. And all of a sudden, the, the, two, the two priests get together with their sons and are like, okay, we need to go tell David this. Now, by the way, who's going to miss the sons? Who's going to know the sons are gone? Nobody. But everybody would know the priests are gone. So when David said, take the Ark of the Covenant back, he was, he was trying to show if God is really with him, but God had a whole other plan. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. When he sent those four men back, he had no way of knowing how God was going to use these four men. And all of a sudden, Hushai comes onto the scene. I want to tell you, in that way in our life, but we're like, how are we going to get through this? And all of a sudden, he just sends the right people at the right time into our life. In the last verse for this evening, so Hushai, David's friend, came into the city and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So here comes Hushai. Now, this is beautiful. Listen to every word of the Bible. It's important. Who came into the city first? Who came? Verse 37. Hushai, why is that important? What if Absalom would have came into the city first and all of a sudden Hushai would have showed up because he knows that they're friends. You know what it looks like? Hushai never left the city. And those who never left the city is not a follower of David. The timing of everything is perfect so when Absalom walks into the city, guess who he sees standing there? Hushai. And now when Hushai says, I'll be your servant, you know what? This man might be telling the truth. Look at the timing of everything to the words of David. God is with David. 